And I want to read verse 23 to begin with this morning. John chapter 4 and verse number 23 says, and Jesus is speaking, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This morning, I want to talk to you about worship, praise, and thanksgiving. I appreciate the American holiday of Thanksgiving. It's uniquely American, it seems, but it is so fitting, especially for those of us who are believers, that we would know what this is about. There's a great spiritual power in worship and praise and in thanksgiving. These are spiritual activities. As we just read, God is a spirit. He seeks people to worship in spirit and in truth. So the activities of worship, the activities of praise and thanksgiving are actually spiritual activities. And they have a tremendous effect on the other parts of our life. One of the biggest revelations I think that a new Christian can receive is to understand that their relationship with God and their newfound Christianity is not just a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night thing. It's not just a little sliver of the day devoted to uh, devotions, as we call it, where maybe there's a little bit of time in prayer or reading a scripture passage. And of course, all those things are good, going to church, doing devotions. I'm not saying that's not good. But we make a grave mistake when we look at that as that's the Christian duty and I've done my duty. And so then the rest of my day, I'm going to do it the way I normally do. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to try to figure out stuff the best I can, do the best I can, and, you know, make things work. That's not how Christianity was ever intended to live. It's not a part-time occupation. It's full-time. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. It is every day. And the activities that are spiritual, the biblical and spiritual activities connected with the Christian life have an effect on every other part of our life. You might not know exactly how right now, but as you learn and grow, you'll begin to see, even by experience, that these things will affect you financially, they will affect you materially, they will affect your relationships, they will affect the atmosphere in your home, they will affect the way you function on your job, they'll affect you in your business, they'll affect you in your health, they will affect you mentally, emotionally, and intellectually. I mean... This stuff covers everything. In the scriptures, we find that these kinds of activities causes prison to be open, depression to be lifted, bondages to be broken, barrenness, the inability to reproduce, to, to be overcome. Our faith is strengthened. As we, give, as we give glory to God. And our wait time on those things we are believing God for is shortened. If you want to shorten the time between the I believe of your faith prayer and the, and the I have it in my hand and I can show somebody else of the manifestation, if you want to shorten that wait time, practice praise. Yeah. 
practice thanksgiving. Practice worship. Worship, praise, and thanksgiving, those three things, that is, all of those is a universal response to God. Nobody can get close to God without doing this. Nobody gets close to God without worshiping, without praising, and without being thankful. Nobody gets to God in their arrogance or their own self-importance. This passage we read and started with this morning says that God is actually looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Is it because he's this egomaniac? Is it because he's needy? Well, obviously no. But God knows that as we properly relate to him, and that is the proper way. I mean, how could you be in the presence of someone who knows everything and not be in awe and not worship them? How could you be in the presence of somebody who has the power to change everything in your life that needs to be changed and not be grateful and thankful that you know him and that he's living in you and you're in him? So this natural response is the way to God's presence. He knows that as we worship in spirit and truth, as we are people of praise and thanksgiving, that we come into his presence. And we not only come into his presence, but when we're there, we touch his power. Presence, power, and provision is all wrapped up in our worship, our praise, and our thanksgiving. I'm going to give you a list of scriptures. We don't have time to go and look at each one and take a lot of time with them. But you can note them if you want or you can go back and listen to the message later on and look up these references for yourself. But in Psalm chapter 150 and verse 6, we're told that everything that breathes should praise the Lord. In Psalm 22 and verse 3, we're told that it's our praises that creates a habitation for the tangible presence of God to come down among us. God inhabits, he lives in the praises of his people. In Psalm 147, in verse 1, we find that praise is, as the old King James says, comely. That means attractive. It looks good to God. So my praises actually will attract the presence of God into my life. In Psalm the 8th chapter and the 2nd verse, I find that praise will still, S-T-I-L-L-S, stills the enemy and the avenger. That means he will put the devil to silence. Our praises will put the devil to silence. And we've learned around here that that's because God created us wisely enough to, to be able to only listen to one voice at a time. And so when the devil's talking, and probably today he's talked to some of us, when he's maybe screaming, it seems, and things are just so, look so desperate and so bad. If I will dare to lift my voice unto God, and if I will dare to begin to speak the praises of God, then I can only listen to that voice at that time, and I am in effect shutting the devil up in my life. Praise stills the enemy. Hallelujah. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, we're told that there are those around God in the throne room of heaven who continually praise God, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You know, those folks that get so tired of us singing the same chorus over and over again, I wonder what they're going to do when they get to heaven, and they never stop singing some of those same choruses. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, we find that Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
You know, when we study about Abraham, and we frequently do as a Word of Faith church, he's one of our favorite characters in the Bible. And, of course, he gave us a, a great example, and we see even the steps of his faith that are outlined for us in Romans chapter 4. And, of course, those steps that work for him to receive his miracle will work for you to receive yours as well. But one of the things we many times will focus on when we teach about Abraham is the fact that he called those things which be not as though they were. And uh, he wasn't denying facts or reality, but he was calling the things, the truth of God, as though they already were. That's even why he called himself Abraham before he ever fathered Isaac, because he was by faith calling things which be not as though they were. And we focus on that a lot, and that is extremely important. It's an it's, it's a essential, it's an essential part of your faith. But one of the other steps that is also essential, is giving glory to God. We don't always focus so much on that. But evidently, Abraham was a praiser. Evidently, he was a worshiper. Evidently, he was a man of thanksgiving. And before he had the results in hand, before he could see it with his natural eyes, before he could feel it physically or whatever, he understood that it's important and necessary to worship God, to praise God, and give thanks to God, and give glory to God for that which God had said. Because God cannot lie. Hallelujah. And whatever he said to you, he'll do it. He's promised your healing. He will heal your body. He's promised your prosperity. He will prosper you and meet your need. He has promised to be with you always and never to forsake you. That means he will never ever leave you. Every and any promise from the word of God you can find or see in this book you can know assuredly that it's already provided for. It's as sure as God himself. So why not praise him for it? Why not give him thanks for it? Why not glorify him for it? Because it's already ours by faith in Christ and through the precious blood of Jesus it's bought and paid for. It's mine. I have it now. And so no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what is going on in your life, begin to declare what God has said and thank Him for it, praise Him for it, and turn on the switch of faith with praise and worship and just drive the devil nuts because he can't do anything with that. He can't do anything with that. Strong faith like Abraham's. Notice it says he, he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. That tells me that it's probably not going to be possible to have a strong faith unless I do give glory to God. And that right there is one of the reasons why a lot of people believe the right biblical truths. They even would tell you and can maybe finish your sentence and say the right spiritual things, but yet many are doing without those manifested blessings of God. I think right here is one of the keys. They're not giving glory to God. Not to the degree or the level that they should. Don't quit confessing scripture. Don't quit declaring what God has said to you. But add to that the element of giving God glory for it. Would you dance for your healing? Would you lift up your hands and praise God for the change in your family that you need? Would you begin to glorify God and put a smile on your face and give audible praise to God for meeting all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Folks, this could be a great missing key for a lot of people. I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm trying to help you today. Don't go silent. Go openly praising God. Go through your house rejoicing. Go through your house praising the Lord. Give God glory. He's worthy. 
He's worthy. Hallelujah. Faith isn't silent, and faith isn't sad. You know, have you ever seen somebody, well, I'm just believing God. Oh, you know, no, 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 no. That's not what believing looks like. Believing says, thank you, Lord. You said it. I believe it. It is settled in my life. It can be no other way. Thank you, Father. And if you've never tried that, then you need to try it. You need to do it. It's amazing. Now, this is the part of the message that I can't stop with and talk a lot about or we'd never get finished and you wouldn't be happy about that. But uh, you can study for yourself and it's easy to find. But you'll find out in the Word God has prescribed the proper methods of praise. Now, since He's the God we're praising and He has been so kind to tell us what praise looks like, why would I be so presumptuous to decide that I can do my own version? Why would I be so arrogant to think that I don't really need to listen to God? I know how it's best done. No, God has told us what he likes. And I'm going to give you another list, and we're going to move through it quickly, and you can go to your own Bible to prove it. As a matter of fact, I challenge you to do that. Don't do it because I say it. Do it because God's Word says it to you. But God has prescribed proper methods for praise, and they include, I'm not saying they're limited only to this, but they include this. Number one, music. Music. Now, you know, uh, uh, there are people who ask the question, why isn't there more about praise and worship, and why isn't there specific instructions about worship and music and so forth in the New Testament? And, and some people even say, well, because of that, I don't think we ought to have any music. And that kind of thing. But my answer to that, and I want you to think about this. You don't have to accept it just because I say it, but I want you to just, uh, just to give it some consideration. But one of the reasons I believe that this is true concerning the New Testament is because God already told us in the old how he liked it. And praise and worship and thanksgiving is not a dispensational thing. It's not limited to one certain period in history. Amen. Kind of glad that thing kicked off when it's getting cold for me. It's cold. That's your heart. Some of you aren't responding. I guess you're frozen. Amen. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, <laughs> but he's already told us what he likes. And you know this, God doesn't change. So if he liked music in the Old Testament, if David played on the harp and it pleased God and God talked to him and God ta taught him spiritual truth, then guess what? He still likes music today. So music, I know that's a broad uh, term, so to speak, but he likes music. He likes instruments of music. And he doesn't like them to be out of tune. I just had to throw that in. And, and, and he wants you to play it skillfully. That's what the Word says. So if you want to be a musician in church, but you don't want to practice, you don't have a job here because we've learned better. The Bible says to play skillfully. Amen. So God likes music. God likes instruments. God likes song. God likes voices. We preached here a lot about it. You know it, maybe if you've been here a lot. 
but your voice is your unique spiritual address. There is no other voice like yours. We can all sing the same note, and it may sound all right. If Nick's in charge, he'll make sure you're on, you're in tune and on key. Those involved in the choir, you know all about all that, and that's good. But as hard as he may try, he still can't get us all precisely the same because we are individuals. God created us with an individual voice print that is as unique as your fingerprint. That's not a coincidence. That's not an accident. Because spiritually speaking, things move with words. You know, in, in the world of appliances, the world of, of uh, modern technology, we rely on electricity. Things move by electricity. That's what makes your vacuum cleaner work. That's what makes the toaster work. And thankfully, this morning, the coffee pot worked. I mean, you know, that's, that's what, that's, electricity moves it. But in the spiritual dimension, sound runs the show. Sound is what makes things move in the spirit. That's why confession is so important. The most important decision you ever made in your life was to receive Jesus as your Lord. There's nothing more important than you being born again, not going to hell, but instead going to heaven. And that did not happen without a confession of your faith. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Your voice is extremely important. So, so one of the ways that we worship, one of the ways that we praise, and one of the powerful ways that we give thanks to God is with our voice. And God is the inventor of song. If you do a study of who Satan was before he became Satan, when he was Lucifer, star of the morning, son of the morning, you find that he had the innate ability within him was built the ability to make music. He didn't have to pick up a guitar. He didn't have to sit at a keyboard. From within him came music. Music is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. When it's corrupted, when it's co-opted by the devil, it becomes a source for dark things, unclean things. It takes people down and, uh, you know, it, it has a tremendous negative power. But when music and song is used for the glorification and the uh, uh, praise and the thanksgiving to God and of God, I tell you, it becomes powerful. Amen. And you can sense his presence when people begin to praise and worship God. That's what Psalm 22, 3 was about. We create an, a habitation. That's one reason we praise God first. We don't preach first necessarily. And I'm not saying we'd never ever have a service where we didn't just preach first. That could happen, obviously. But generally speaking, we're going to be always entering into his gates with thanksgiving. And we're going to come into his courts with praise. And we are going to approach God in such a way as to create a, an atmosphere that he can come down among us. And when God comes down, healing comes down. When God comes down, deliverance comes down. When God comes down, every need is supplied. It's just easy to reach out and to receive it. And so it's important that we praise God with our voice and with our song. Now here, we don't have to necessarily be good at it. 
everything that hath breath should praise the Lord. So everybody should lift their voice and praise to God. Not everybody needs a microphone, but everybody needs to lift their voice to God. Can you say amen? amen. And so also uh, we find in looking at what pleases God in praise and worship is volume. Volume. Now I know that this is very controversial. And some of you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you a secret today. We have a decibel meter back there at the sound booth. And that decibel meter is there for two reasons. Number one, we don't want it to be deafening and dangerously loud. But this is what's going to probably surprise many of you. It's there because there's a certain level we don't want to get under. <laughs> You're digesting that, I can tell. <laughs> you see, what we don't want is for you to come in here, especially if you don't consider yourself a singer or you don't think you have a great voice. We do not want you to come in here and be so self-conscious that you cannot become God-conscious in His presence. We want you to be able to worship and praise God with abandon. We want you to be able to praise the Lord and not be worried about what other people think. And from a pastor's point of view, I'll give you another little nugget. We don't want you to be able to stand there and have a conversation with somebody while we're praising God. Because it ain't about talking to Joe Blow beside of you. It's about talking to God. We don't want it to be easy to have a conversation. And number three... This ain't no funeral. <laughs> so there'll be some volume. And I don't know, maybe ushers, maybe we should buy a, a sack full of those earplugs or whatever if people would need one or whatever. But uh, let me tell you, I've been in churches that had no volume, no praise. It was a lot like a funeral. People didn't have a revelation of it. And there was no power to speak of moving in our midst. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in any of those services anymore ever again. God recognizes kneeling, bowing, prostrating ourselves, just falling on our face, flat of our face in the presence of God as a part of worship and a way to give glory to Him. And then also, the Word talks about dancing. Dancing. <laughs> I can't dance. I never could dance, never did want to try. But sometimes I get moving around. I call it dancing before the Lord. I don't know what you call it, but he likes it. <laughs> and since it's for him, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It's for him. Hallelujah. And I'm not talking about some choreographed version. I'm talking about just... Just being led by the Spirit and move around. Amen. I'm, I'm not too big on the choreographed stuff. I had one lady I used to pastor. She's gone to be with the Lord now, but she, was, she grew up in New York. And she said, you know, I don't like that. She said, I saw the real thing in New York. Uh, all this uh, bad ballet in church, you know. She didn't really care for it. <laughs> and I'm with her. Amen. I agree. But movement is a part of worship. So, I mean, I know that we all have different personalities. 
And I, it probably would surprise you to know that my, my personality would, would be the kind of person that would just stand there, kind of. And I, you know, I love beautiful music, and I love harmonies, and I like all of that, but I would probably just stand there and, uh, and do it. But, but when I read the Bible, I found out that's not what God wants. Now, I'm not saying you have to go crazy, but if you do, that's okay. I'm not saying we do things to draw attention to ourselves. I've been in those kind of situations where, you know, people that maybe even weren't properly dressed and all that stuff are up there, you know, putting on a show. That don't help anything. I know you didn't come to church today thinking you're going to hear about all this, but I just have to tell you the truth. And on certain subjects, when you get there as a pastor, you just got to dig in until it's all done. But uh, uh, so, you know, we're not talking about show. We're not talking about doing things that draw attention to yourself. We're talking about true worship and praise. So nothing wrong with dancing, nothing wrong with moving around, nothing wrong with shouting, nothing wrong with praising, lifting our voice, nothing wrong with loud music, loud instruments, and nothing wrong with percussion. Now, I know that's another area where sometimes people have a problem with. Well, you know, I can take, you know, I can take a little bit of strings, but I don't want any drums. Well, you know, the Bible talks about cymbals, loud-sounding cymbals, high-sounding cymbals. Uh, I tell you, when you're trying to shut up a church service, you are not in agreement with God. That's all I'll say about that right now. And I'll say this about all the things I'm talking about and any other thing you find in the Word that deals with true worship and praise, these actions are for both public and private worship. If you don't dance at home, then don't come and hypocrite to us that you're such a praiser. If you never lift your hands at home, then don't be a hypocrite at church. Let's do it at home and do it here. Let's just make what happens here an extension of what we're doing at the house. And I'll tell you, if you will fill your home with worship, praise, and thanksgiving, that's our topic today, then the whole atmosphere of your house will change. If you've got kids at home, it'll affect them. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your physical health and your mental health as well. Now, the release of joy, and you know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. In the fifth chapter of Galatians, we know that's in there. It's along with love. Joy is actually the second on the list. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. So joy has been, dis- been um, deposited into our spirit when we got born again. But, and so that, you know, if you want to be technical, joy is a noun. It's, it's a thing. It's a spiritual substance. It's a spiritual force. But rejoicing, well, that's a verb. And it's in rejoicing that we draw out the joy. So don't ever say, if you're a Christian, I don't have any joy. That's not true. What you mean is, I'm not doing anything to draw it out. It'd be like somebody complaining that there's no water in their house when they refuse to turn on the spigot. And so rejoicing is turning on the spigot. And this rejoicing, this release of joy, plays a major role in making church And many other areas of your life enjoyable. And I would even use the word fun. You know, we have fun here. 
We do. We, we have fun. We, we enjoy the presence of God. Now, many people don't associate the two words joy or enjoyment and fun with church and Christianity. And all I can say is, if that's the case, they're in the wrong church. And they don't really understand what Christianity is all about. I'm not saying they're not saved. They're just in the wrong place and don't really know what they need to know about Christianity. If you want to talk about something that's dry and boring and hard and not fun, look at just standard religion. The religion that is harsh, judgmental, unkind, uncaring, and selfish. But no, Christianity is, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Our goal here is for you to experience joy that is unspeakable. In other words, you don't have a, a, a vocabulary to describe it. And a joy that is full of glory. Now, I know not everybody wants to tap into it. Not everybody wants to cooperate with it. But we want, every time we meet, we want that to be available to you. And so sometimes you see people here, they take off running. Sometimes people start dancing. Some people will just kneel before the Lord and prostrate themselves before God and just worship. All kinds of these things we've been talking about that are true and biblical acts of worship, praise, and thanksgiving. They begin to do those things. Don't judge those people. You don't know what they have come out of. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what the Lord has done for them. Amen. Just because you don't feel like praising doesn't mean they don't. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to Isaiah 54. We're, we're wrapping up in just a few minutes. But in Isaiah chapter 54, there is, a, there is a scripture that the prophet speaks. God speaks through the prophet. And he says, verse 1, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud that thou, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Now I want you to notice here that this woman who is not able to have children, uh, who, a woman who is, as we would say, barren. And you've got to understand in the uh, ancient days, barrenness would have been considered, and rightly so, as a, a curse, something that nobody would have wanted. Because unlike today, Unlike today, people wanted children. And there were things that were advantageous to having children. Large families were, uh, were a part of the, what we now would call the social safety net. Well, that was your safety net. People honored their elders. They respected their parents and their grandparents. And families took care of families. And through the growing of families... Alliances were made which brought protection to various families and tribes. It brought economic and financial connections so that people could prosper. There were a lot of wonderful things in addition to the fact that just, you know, a little baby's sweet. But way more than that. And so part of the blessing of God upon his covenant people was that there would be none barren in the land. So along the way... When things happened in certain ways and there were people unable to bear, they would have been looked upon askance. People would have thought, well, you know, is something wrong with them? 
Uh, this is not a blessing, it's a curse, so did they do something? People would have been probably to some degree ostracized. And, in, and on, on top of their own disappointment, they would have had this social stigma stuck to that. So it, it was, it's not good. By the time we get to Isaiah's day, God is speaking through the prophet and says, you tell the barren woman, the, bar- the woman who's gone through all of this uh, mental anguish, this, gone through all these disappointments, this woman who is uh, not necessarily favored by maybe even her own husband because they had multiple wives and, and uh, if a woman couldn't have a child, a guy would marry another wife to have children. So that's kind of the world that was. And so God says to that barren woman, start singing. Start singing. You see, because the cure for barrenness is worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Now, I know that this is specifically talking about a woman unable to have a child, but I think you can see beyond that even, where are the barren areas of your life? What is the thing or what are the things that just aren't producing? It's just not working. It didn't happen like you thought it would. Uh, It's not fruitful. The Bible teaches us not to complain about that. We don't sit around all day wondering and feeling sorry for ourselves about it. The Bible answer is sing over it. Now you can understand the barren woman didn't feel like singing. And you can understand this would have seemed like the most crazy thing in the world to do. But it was God's instruction. And it was the way to overcome barrenness. And so it is today. Every area in your life that seems barren, one of the key ways to get through that, over that, and and, and cause that to be turned around is to begin to worship God, praise God, sing to God, and give thanks to God no matter what you see or what you feel. The barren areas of your health, your money, your relationships, whatever it is, learn to sing. Learn to rejoice. Learn to praise. Hallelujah. And not just on Sunday morning, but every day, all through the day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn over to Psalm, I'm sorry, not Psalm, but Isaiah chapter 61. Just a few chapters over, and you will find in verse number 3, it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Notice these are mourners, people that are sad. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You see, God gets glory when you praise. Your faith is strengthened when you praise. And there is actually a garment of praise that you could wear just like you got up today. We put on our clothes. We came to church. Well, I hope that today you also put on your spiritual clothing. I hope that you put on the garment of praise. And as you do, you will exchange that for a spirit of heaviness. If you're battling depression, if you're battling the blues, if you're battling all kinds of negative things in your mind, if the doctor, you know, when you go to the doctor, you know what they're going to do. They're going to give you a pill. You know that's what they're going to do. They're going to give you a pill because he can't fix that for you. 
So what he wants to get you is something that will numb you or something that will help you get through or whatever the case may be. I want to tell you that the best medicine for being depressed, the best medicine for the blues, the best medicine for the spirit of heaviness is to learn to be a praiser and a worshiper of God. Hallelujah. When you can tell your emotions that I'm going to tell you how you feel. You are not going to tell me how I feel. But I'm going to declare and I'm going to decree that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise God no matter what it looks like or no matter what I feel like. But thanks be unto God. I am going to put on the garment of praise. Hallelujah. That's what this is about. Praise the Lord. And then finally, in the book of Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas, you know the story, they were in jail. They were in the Philippian jail. And they had been put there just for simply obeying God, for pleasing God, for preaching the gospel, which that alone, you know, would, would give someone pause because you're thinking, Lord, I'm, I'm doing your will. I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing to the best of my ability what I know to do. And, and now here I am in jail. Silas was with Paul. He was uh, Paul's uh, associate, if you will. And you can imagine that if, if they were two Americans in the modern day, that probably Silas would have said, what in the world have you got us into? I thought you heard God, Paul. And Paul would have said, I thought I did too. <laughs> Looks like we're in a mess. They beat them. They were bleeding. They put their feet in stocks. Put them in the inner prison. And the inner prison of a Roman jail 2,000 years ago would have been one of the worst places a human could be put into. There were no sanitary things as we would know them today. It was horrible. No doubt it stunk no doubt there were rodents and vermin around. It was the worst. But the Bible says, ooh, I like this, and at midnight, at midnight, I'm sure that was literally midnight, but I'm sure it was also a very dark time. At midnight, they prayed. A lot of people would do that. But they prayed and... It wasn't enough to pray. They needed the and. They prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them, the Bible says. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. It was a Holy Ghost earthquake. It was a God-sent earthquake. It didn't destroy the whole town of Philippi. It just shook that jail until every man's bands were loose. They were all set free. And it's amazing to me to when I begin to think about how that when I properly will choose to praise God, even in the midst of my trouble and my problem, if I will dare to praise God, that it will not only set me free, but there are other people that it will help minister to. We don't help anybody with our complaints. We don't help anybody with our griping. We don't help anybody by trying to solicit their pity and, and, and all of that. But we do help people when we praise God. We do help people when we praise until the prison doors are open. And then we've got a testimony of the deliverance of God. Hallelujah. The world is waiting on the church's testimony of the goodness of God. I worship. I praise. I thanksgiving. Let's stand up and praise him this morning. 
I don't know what you need to praise him for, but do it right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. 